Seven Practices of Effective Ministry, Chapters 5 and 12. Chapter 5, Staying Focused. Okay, first, clarify the win. Then, think steps, not programs. Now what? Wouldn't you rather watch the game, Ray? I would have loved to, but since you've already ruined my evening, I might as well get the whole treatment, Ray said, laughing. All right, you asked for it. Practice number three is this, narrow the focus. By that, I mean you shouldn't try to do everything. You should do a few things well. Right, think steps, not programs. We've already covered that, Ray said. You learn quickly. There are similarities, but narrow the focus is, well, it's more focused. While it does apply to the number of things you do, it also applies to the way you do the things you do. Once you've created a step that's easy, obvious, and strategic, you need to make sure that that step stays focused. Don't try to make it do something that it wasn't created to do. Do you see that guy out there? Pete asked, pointing to the mound. The pitcher? Ray asked. Yeah, he's one of my favorites. Do you know how much I pay him every year? No. Well, in your terms, I'm guessing it would be two sanctuaries and about 20,000 square feet of nursery space. That much, huh? Yep. Do you know what his batting average was last year? Nope. .094. I paid a man over $14 million who got a hit less than 10% of the time. I don't think he had one RBI all season, but he can throw a baseball 98 miles an hour over either corner of the plate. Do you get my point? I have a feeling I'm about to. Pitchers don't need to hit well. They need to pitch well. Every step you create needs to do what it does best and nothing more. Focus allows you to pursue excellence, to zero in on the target. You can ruin a great pitcher by trying to make a hitter out of him, and you can ruin a great church by making a school out of it, Ray said without thinking. Where did that come from? Pete asked. Oh, just something I've been thinking a lot about lately. Joe said you were facing some tough calls, but he didn't tell me what they were, Pete said. Ray had forgotten about Joe's involvement in all of this. Is this why he had arranged the tickets to the game? To forestall the school decision? No, Ray thought. He couldn't have known for sure that I would be able to make it tonight. Anyway, it was the AWOL elder board that had canceled the meeting. Ray, are you with me? Oh, sorry. I guess I'm a little distracted. So you don't think the church should start a school? I didn't say that. What I said was you can ruin one thing by trying to get it to do something else. Babe Ruth entered the big leagues as a pitcher, and he was a good pitcher. What do you think would have happened if he had focused on his pitching? Good pitcher, but no home run record? Probably. Now, it's possible that Babe could have won 300 games and hit 700 home runs, but not very likely. The question is, do you want to have a great church or a great school? because the chances of having both are about the same as babes. Ray thought about this for a minute. He had always assumed they could have a great church and a great school. But what Pete was saying made sense. They had to make a choice. Every minute he spent on the school would be one he couldn't spend on the church. Narrowing the focus seems so limiting, Ray finally said. But when you think about it, it really frees you up to do more. You just do one thing really well. Now you're getting it. It's more than narrowing the focus, though, Ray said. For me, it's personally clarifying the win. God called me to start a church, not a school. My win is the church. 
That's great, Ray. When these practices work together, when you don't have competing visions or cross-purposes, there's a refreshing simplicity and efficiency to your organization. Practice number four is really an extension of that idea. Chapter 12. Practice three, narrow the focus. Do fewer things in order to make a greater impact. I tend to have a smorgasbord approach to life and ministry. Personally, I really struggle with the idea of focus. Friends who are sensitive to my dilemma suggest that I just have an entrepreneurial personality style, but others, including my wife, believe that I'm really an adult with ADD, attention deficit disorder, and have recommended at various times that I try heavy medication. I guess the reason I'm making this confession is because I know firsthand how difficult it is to bring focus to your life. For me, it is not intuitive, natural, or easy. My days can quickly become littered with unfinished projects and new initiatives. But throughout my lifetime, I have witnessed the power of uncompromising personal focus. Our world has been greatly impacted by men and women of almost single-minded determination whose contributions were defined by the passionate pursuit of excellence in a specific arena. Somewhere in their personal journey, either by accident or on purpose, these few discovered the advantage of narrowing their focus. The sobering truth is that many of us weaken our potential by investing too much time in the areas of our lives where we have the least potential. It seems logical, even justifiable. After all, shouldn't we work hard at improving the areas in which we are the weakest? Think about it. Does it make sense for an ace relief pitcher, John Schmoltz, to spend more time working on his hitting? His batting average is probably the area where he has the greatest potential for improvement. The problem is that hitting a baseball is not the area where he has the greatest potential to make an impact. The most important contribution that Smoltz makes to his team is his ability to pitch. If you really want to make a lasting impact, then you need to eliminate what you do well for the sake of what you could potentially do best. As Andy would say, Devoting a little of yourself to everything means committing a great deal of yourself to nothing. In the first three chapters of his book, The Next Generation Leader, he unveils how critical this principle is if you hope to become a competent leader. Andy has been very deliberate to eliminate a number of important things so he can spend more time sharpening his skills as an effective communicator. It's no accident that thousands of adults show up every week to hear life-changing truth presented in a relevant way. This happens because Andy is uncompromising in his attempt to narrow the focus of his life. When everything else around him is growing out of control, screaming for attention, he somehow manages to stay focused on what is key for himself and this organization. This generation has been ministered to by a number of individuals whose names are almost synonymous with their focus. Billy Graham and Crusades, James Dobson and Family, Bill Bright and Evangelism, John Maxwell and Leadership, George Barna and Research, Gary Smalley and Marriage. The list goes on and on. Your potential to make an impact with your life is directly related to your willingness to narrow your focus. Churches with ADD What is true for individuals is also true for organizations. There is a natural tendency to drift towards complexity. During the past decade, I have developed a growing respect for the power of focus in a church. At North Point, we have relentlessly pursued simplicity. A lot of churches are simply doing too much, and if you interview their staff, they will confirm this. 
While they are trying to reach the world, they are losing their own communities. And instead of being strong somewhere, they are weak everywhere. The shift towards complexity is usually subtle, and it's rarely intentional. Passionate leaders introduce innovations. Persistent members promote their agendas. New programs are established. Traditions are born. New ideas are added to old programs. And over time, the ministry begins to lose its focus, and the church becomes paralyzed by its inability to purge itself. Ministry becomes diluted because it is flowing in too many different directions. Years of adding and never subtracting have created layers of programs that all feel necessary. Meanwhile, many of these churches are growing without actually growing. It's always dangerous to confuse activity with results. Churches may be doing more, but they are not reaching more people. Churches are notorious for sacrificing long-term growth for short-term progress. So much of what they do divides their resources and their focus, thus creating a barrier to real growth. They fail to understand something counterintuitive about growth. You have to do less if you want to grow more. And if you want to do more, chances are you will grow less. Here are a few of the reasons churches have drifted into complexity, making it difficult to simplify their structure. Some churches have bought into a ministry menu philosophy. In the late 1980s and early 1990s, a number of experts in church growth herald the concept of creating churches to be one-stop shops. Every program was promoted as a potential entry point to reach the unchurched. It seemed logical. Therefore, the way to reach more people was to start more programs. The object of the game was to create as many entry points as possible, to hit as many baseballs as possible. Churches were encouraged to become cafeterias, offering a large menu of programs to appeal to a variety of different tastes. Topical studies, support groups, specialty ministries were created and funded so everyone could find something that interested them in their local church. In some cases, it actually seemed to temporarily boost attendance, but in most situations, this programmatic approach became extremely difficult to maintain long-term. Many of these churches are now being drained by the complexity that has resulted from a menu ministry philosophy. Even large, successful churches are being forced to cut back staffing and programming to reprioritize. Churches feel constant pressure to provide programs on the basis of needs. If the ministry menu philosophy is an attempt to reach those outside the church, the need-focused approach is an attempt to satisfy those inside the church. This, too, seems very logical. If you are in ministry, you naturally assume it is your job to meet the needs of others. There is a sense in which you are right, but you don't meet needs simply because they exist. And whether you admit it or not, you already practice a selective method of meeting needs. Just try to find a church that meets everyone's needs. There is no such church. It's so logical to assume that every church has some type of filter they use to decide which needs are important enough to meet. The reality is that there are as many needs as there are people, and needs are extremely difficult to prioritize. When you try to make programming decisions solely on the basis of needs, it can ultimately lead to an unhealthy organization. If you fuel the neediness in your congregation, you will possibly create an inward-focused church that can potentially self-implode. Can You Care Less? from North Point's Playbook. Early on, our church attendance quickly outgrew our staff's capacity, and so we were forced to begin narrowing the focus on what we spent our time on. We made the same hard choices that every other church makes when confronted with limited time and resources. 
One of the areas that presented a difficult challenge was our approach to care ministry. In the early days, the vision was two incredible women, Deborah Fields and Karen Stevens, led us to do what came naturally, meet needs. However, it quickly became apparent that we were not going to be able to meet every need that a multi-thousand attendee church could throw at us. We knew that we would have to narrow the focus and, hard as it was, say no to some so that we could say yes to most. Our care director, Dave Lewis, recognized that the majority of requests we received centered on marriage issues and divorce recovery, and so we focused on those two areas. This meant saying no to a number of recovery groups and other good ideas that could have prevented us from successfully serving where we were most needed. Individuals have been allowed to build their identity around a program, not a mission. It is normal for leaders to take pride in what they create, but it can become an unhealthy situation if leaders hold on to what they create too tightly. When individuals tie their identity to a program they've created, they lose the objectivity that is necessary to evaluate its effectiveness. And so, mainstream denominations and conventional churches collectively pour millions of dollars annually into programs that should have been buried a decade ago. There is a very fuzzy line between building your personal significance around a program and attaching your heart to a mission. Programs need to change. A mission can last a lifetime. When leaders give their heart to a mission, they hold whatever they create with open hands. Why? Because the value of a program is linked to how well it helps accomplish the mission, and a good leader is always more passionate about the mission than about the program. Church leaders fear the fallout of eliminating certain programs. Every leader knows that there is a degree of risk in eliminating any program. Someone will inevitably be angered. Pastors have been fired and churches have split over less. So who can blame a leader for cautiously considering who and how many people are going to react before pulling the plug on a program? But when a leader fears the consequences of eliminating a program more than the long-term effects of keeping a program, the result can be costly. Failing to eliminate programs that need to be purged can stunt a church's growth and tie up important resources. When a leader lacks the courage to make necessary changes, the future potential of an entire organization is put on hold. Let's now look at some of the changes you will need to make if you are going to narrow your focus. Simplify, simplify. In his book, Focus, Al Reese makes some interesting observations about the inclination towards complexity that exists within every organization. Narrowing your focus means you must resist complexity and pursue simplicity. Many of our staff had previously been involved with churches that were program-heavy. And we knew how quickly things could grow out of control, so we became tenacious about staying simple. In fact, you might be surprised at some of the things we don't do. For example, we don't have a Christian school, midweek services, men and women's ministry, a children's choir, adult Sunday school, Easter or Christmas pageants, or a recreation ministry. It's not that anything is wrong with any of these programs. There's just not enough room in our organization to do them and be as effective as we think we need to be with other programs. So we require extensive documentation and layers of meetings before a new program can be started. We have mostly just said no and instead encourage key leaders to take their ideas and start organizations outside our church. We cannot afford to implement competing systems that could make our organization unhealthy. Kill what's working. 
Maybe you need to eliminate what works so that something else can work better. Narrowing your focus means you choose what potentially works best over what is presently working. It may sound strange, but the best way to help a program work better may actually be to kill another program that is working. Jesus highlights this principle in John 15. Although he is not referring specifically to an organization, the principle is the same. He says, My father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Everyone understands this concept. If something isn't working, you get rid of it. It's the next phrase that could revolutionize your ministry. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Pruning something that is alive, cutting off something that is fruitful so another part can be more fruitful, is painful but necessary if you want to become more fruitful. Sometimes a healthy choice is to eliminate programs that are thriving so that something else can become healthier. Good programs can actually get in the way of other programs becoming excellent. Just because something is working doesn't mean you should keep doing it. Too many ministries are spending their best human and fiscal resources on mediocre programs. A skilled gardener learns which branches to prune and which ones to keep. Take a close look. The program with the potential to work the best, that is, the program that will bear the greatest fruit, should be your priority. Sidebar, Sunday school or small groups from North Point's playbook. We know adult Sunday school works. You don't have to convince us. Many of the staff who started North Point worked for years in churches where we created and coordinated adult classes. We just decided that adult small groups had the potential to work better. We believe that if allowed Sunday school and small groups to coexist in our organization, it would diminish the potential of both. So we decided to put all our eggs in the small group basket. Not only were we convinced that life change happens best in the context of small groups, but once we gave the groups our undivided attention, we discovered that they have the potential to grow at a faster rate. Today, the ratio of church attendees to those who participate in small groups is better than we ever experienced with the Sunday School model. Create Brands There is a fundamental question you need to answer before you can establish environments that appeal to the individuals you are trying to reach. Do your specific environments exist to promote your church, or does your church exist to create specific environments? The answer is critical. Narrowing your focus means creating environments as distinctive brands. You must decide which image you want to become primary in the minds of the target audience you are trying to reach. You have to identify for them what you are selling. Are you trying to get people to buy into your church? Or are you trying to get them to buy into an environment that is relevant? Which one do you think is an easier sell? This principle is understood in the marketing world. People are not looking for a General Motors car to purchase. They are looking for an SUV or a good deal on a sports car. They are looking for something that is relevant to their lifestyle. As they narrow their focus, they test drive various models and end up purchasing a Tahoe or a Saab convertible. When you ask people what they drive, they don't say a General Motors car. They're more specific. The point is, they are not usually thinking in terms of a corporation. They are thinking in terms of an individual brand. The truth is that church, by its nature, is a very general concept. And most people are not looking for a church. Otherwise, churches would be full of visitors every week. What people are looking for is something that is relevant to their marriage, 
their family, their personal lives. What they're looking for is something that works for them as individuals, and that is something specific, not general. One of the greatest challenges facing the church today is the need to change its image. Let's face it, everyone has some kind of opinion about church, and the people in your community probably developed some notion or other about your church simply because it is a church. People have a perception, and even if it is false, that perception is their reality. It may be the reason they never give your church a second look. You can change the adjective in front of the word church. You can preach messages to redefine the meaning of church for all those who attend. You can spend thousands of dollars on a media campaign using television and billboards, but trying to change someone's opinion about the church in general is hard to sell. What you can do, however, is change the image of your church by creating environments that are attractive and helpful for someone's season of life. When your priority is creating environments instead of marketing your church, you will make a greater impact on what your community thinks about your church. But if you hope to start making an environment a distinctive brand, you must do two things. Number one, identify the primary target group. Number two, design each environment to do one thing. Presumably, you have limited resources and talent. So you need to first decide who you have the best potential to reach. Here's a news flash: You will never reach everybody, so don't try. Notice we did not say don't care about everybody. We're just saying it's better not to try to be all things to all people. But isn't that what Paul tried to do? Yes, and we suspect he was pretty good at it. Peter, on the other hand, was better at reaching the Jews. The point is, if you try to be everything to everybody, you may dilute your potential to reach anybody. You need to figure out who you're good at reaching and go for it. Likewise, every environment should be designed to do one thing. That doesn't mean it can't do anything else. It just means that each environment should have a narrow focus. That's what makes it a distinctive brand. If you start doing too much in any environment, you may confuse your customer and you will eventually water down the environment's impact. Try to attach one word or a short phrase to every environment to brand its distinctiveness in the minds of your leaders. Here are a few of our environments and how we have narrowed their focus. Inside Out, small groups for students. Rush Hour, a place for students to bring unchurched friends. Starting Point, small groups for seekers and new believers. 722, a worship experience for single adults. Community groups, small groups for married couples or singles. Kid stuff, a shared experience for parents and kids. Upstreet, small groups for children. If an environment is not doing the primary thing it was created to do, then it really doesn't matter what else it does. But it's also important that you don't force an environment to do something it was not designed to do. It is okay for a specific environment not to do these things, be sensitive to non-Christians, resolve someone's complicated emotional issues, have an in-depth Bible study, give an invitation, meet the deeper needs of Christians, reach new people, or spend quality time in worship. For example, Inside Out is primarily a gathering of kitchen tables or small groups for students, so we don't try to make it do outreach. If we were to suddenly focus on outreach, we would compromise our effectiveness at discipling students through groups. And it is critical for everyone to understand the environment's design so no one shows up with a large group of unbelieving students. 
The reverse is also true. If someone shows up at rush hour because they hope to experience a meaningful Bible study, they will be disappointed. When you create distinct brands, you let people know what to expect and you help leaders to meet their expectations. A sidebar, Kid Stuff or Upstreet from North Point's Playbook. Kid Stuff, the first children's program we created at North Point, was designed so parents could participate in an environment with their kids. Instead of putting kids in an environment that was designed for adults so they would get excited about what we taught parents, we turned the idea on its head. We put parents in an environment designed for the whole family so they would get excited about what we taught their kids. The program is a fast-moving, multimedia, Nickelodeon-style presentation. It was positioned in our organization as a foyer event. We then created a separate environment for kids to participate in small groups and called it Upstreet. During one of our first meetings with our kid stuff and our Upstreet teams, we wrote both names on a board and asked two questions. What should kid stuff do that Upstreet can't do? And what should Upstreet do that kid stuff can't do? That helped us to draw clear lines around both environments. See if you can guess which characteristics apply to which environment. Is Kid Stuff or Upstreet a better place to celebrate a kid's birthday, lead kids in worship, teach fun activity songs, communicate vision to parents, have an in-depth Bible study, dialogue about personal faith, hold kids accountable for their quiet time, perform drama, teach kids to pray, spotlight special events, By deciding what each environment was best designed to do, we enabled them to complement each other, and we created two distinct brands where everyone knew what to expect. Build a team of specialists. The reason no one has ever complained about John Schmoltz's batting average is because he can throw a fastball that reaches 97 miles an hour, and he has mastered a slider that makes right-handed batters tremble. Narrowing your focus means developing a team of specialists who may not do everything well, but they are experts in the areas assigned to them. It is rare in professional baseball to see players frequently change positions. They tend to become experts as either infielders or outfielders. They hone their skills to turn double plays, judge fly balls, and snag hard grounders. They learn how to field their zone of responsibility. The average fan who has never played baseball has no idea how intricate the strategies can be for a second baseman or a catcher. There is more to think about than anyone would notice simply by watching the game. But when you narrow the focus, everyone tends to become an expert at what they do. The same is true in an organization. When you reduce the responsibility and activity of your church, you enable your staff to become individual specialists. The goal of an organization should be to develop a team of people who are experts in their area of work. This is why some churches are able to achieve a certain level of excellence, while others continue to be mired in mediocre programming. A more simple and focused organization allows each individual to specialize in a skill such as small group strategy, managing events, creating productions, effective communication, leading staff, coordinating hosts, writing scripts, and so on. When individuals own one primary environment or age group, it forces them to dig deeper and discover more. When they do more of the same thing, they just get better at doing it. They will tend to generate more ideas, create better resources, and impact more people than they would if they had too much varied responsibility. 
Experts tend to implement strategies that are much more effective. So churches that breed specialists have a clear advantage over churches that are full of generalists. Narrow is the path. When you apply the principle of narrow the focus to your environments, you will discover a number of advantages almost immediately. The more you focus each environment, the greater the relevance. If you have a room full of high school believers, it is much easier to target your communication to teach something applicable than if you had a room filled with both believing and unbelieving high school students. The more you focus each environment, the better the connection. When an environment is focused on a specific season of life, the potential for individuals to network relationally always increases. Every time you narrow your focus, you magnify the level of the relationships. For example, teens will connect, but teenage girls will connect better, and ninth grade girls will connect even better. The more you focus each environment, the higher the quality. A lot of churches struggle to achieve excellence because they are just doing too much. When there is less to do, you can do whatever you do more efficiently. When churches visit North Point, they often remark on the level of quality they see in a given environment. But when we explain to them what we don't do, they usually admit they could do what we do if that's all they did. The more you focus each environment, the stronger the impact. Focus is why a river has more force than a swamp. Focus is the reason you can do surgery with a laser but not a flashlight. It's the reason some churches effectively influence their communities and others don't. Too top-heavy to make the turn. It's important to understand how narrow the focus is different from the other practices we have discussed thus far. Clarify the win means evaluating and defining what is really working. It is important practice to familiarize everyone with what success looks like and feels like. Think Steps, Not Programs is about identifying and implementing programs which actually function as steps that move people in a strategic direction. Narrow the focus, on the other hand, is about deciding to do less in order to be more effective. It calls leaders to develop the skill and willingness to eliminate certain programs so other programs can become stronger. It suggests that you create brands that are distinct and target a specific group. It requires the creation of a not-to-do list in order to protect the organization from the draining effects of complexity. There is something about living in complexity that blinds you over time. But when you go back to what is simple, you begin to realize how things were meant to be. It's like leaving the city and driving into the mountains. When you eliminate the distractions, it's easier to focus on what matters. We often find ourselves in conversations with frustrated staff members from other churches. They know they do too much, but they don't know how to stop. And they are victims of a system that is so complicated, they are wasting their best talent. Some churches are so loaded down with unnecessary baggage, they can't make the turn fast enough to keep up with the changing culture. They're getting behind because they're loaded down with stuff that is just not as important as they think it is. Even when they admit that it feels too complicated, they are still somehow convinced that it is all very necessary. They don't know how to go back, and no one will give them permission to stop doing anything. They're losing their potential to make an impact because of the complexity of their organization. Today's church needs wise and courageous leaders who will simplify their activity and refocus their mission. Refocus your mission. Whenever a church decides to narrow its focus, it should be in the context of our calling to lead people to follow Christ. For that is how the church is primarily different from any other organization. We are not in the business of education, social reform, or political revolution. 
Any of these issues can potentially dilute the effectiveness of the church. We could spend hours debating to what degree the church should be involved with a number of issues, but let's stay focused. History proves that it is too easy for the church to get distracted. Our business is to provide hope and salvation for the human heart. And face it, that's a mission that definitely deserves your undivided attention. Discussion questions improving your game. Identify any programs in your organization that are providing the same step. Which one has the greatest potential to become more effective if you eliminate the other? Is there an effective program that you should eliminate because it is preventing a more important program from becoming more effective? Are there activities or programs that have become barriers to excellence in your organization? Create a not-to-do list outlining programs your organization shouldn't do. In other words, decide now what you will never do. Try to attach a word or short phrase to each of your environments to brand its distinctiveness in the minds of your leaders. Assign each person on your team to describe in one sentence each every other team member's primary contribution to the organization. Share and discuss each list. Seven Practices of Effective Ministry, Chapters 5 and 12. Chapter 5, Staying Focused. Okay, first, clarify the win. Then, think steps, not programs. Now what? Wouldn't you rather watch the game, Ray? I would have loved 